How's it going, everybody? Adrian here, and welcome back to the Gaming Observer Daily News Updates for Tuesday, September the 7th. Now, folks, today I am going to be covering just two stories. Uh, both of them are quite large and quite hefty. They are about the industry more than any individual video game. And I would also like to provide a trigger warning because we are going to be talking about the Texas anti-abortion law that was recently passed in the United States. Of course, not in any great detail. It will be strictly related to the gaming industry, but it is certainly centered in our first story. Because the president of Tripwire Interactive, which is a name that you might recognize from games like Killing Floor, Man Eater, and Chivalry 2, they were the publisher for, uh, the president of that company went on Twitter and basically supported this anti-abortion law. I will let you look up the details of this law on your own, but suffice to say it's a ridiculous, disgusting law that should never have been introduced in the first place. Well, thankfully, he tweeted this out and it was an absolute firestorm. Uh, tons of people very much upset with this man. Lots of very prominent names in the industry denouncing their relationship with him. And most importantly, the people who are working with Tripwire, uh, in some cases, are even ending their professional relationships. So there is a developer called Shipwright Studios. They were heavily involved in Maneater. They're actually like totally canceling their contracts with Tripwire, which might actually end up being a financial burden on them. But they said, hey, you know, we started this studio saying it's time to put our money where our mouth is. And that's now what we're doing. We've also had a comment from Torn Banner Studios, who are the developers behind Chivalry 2. They also said, we do not share these opinions, they stand in opposition to what we believe about women's rights. And they didn't mention anything about cancelling contracts, but that tends to get very, very tricky. Sometimes you don't have any choice but to follow a contract. You know, I'm sure if they could, then they would. So it is very much a, a very sucky situation all around. I'm sure the, the women who work at Tripwire are not obviously very happy about this. And hopefully many other people at that studio, would I, you know, I don't have any knowledge there, but that would be the hope. And uh, yeah, ever since this tweet, we haven't heard anything more from the president or from the company. So there might be some follow-ups. We'll see how it shakes out. Very, very unfortunate. Okay, let's move to a little bit of a lighter topic in, in some ways. Uh, it's kind of a story that I've been ignoring for a little bit because it is definitely an ongoing story and a little hard to grasp. But you might remember that I have come on to this show a couple of times and said, hey, we have new records for video games being sold, right? There were sealed copies of the original Mario Bros. games being sold for millions of dollars. And I think for the most part, a lot of people just assumed like, oh my goodness, vintage video games are now worth something, right? They're an asset that people are very desperate for. But what's been kind of unraveling over the past couple of weeks is that this isn't necessarily market demand as much as it is market manipulation. The topic got especially popular when a YouTuber by the name of Carl Jopst released, like, this huge video about it. My apologies if I said his name wrong, I am unfamiliar with his content. But the story here is that the games are being sold at Heritage Auctions, which is an auction house that sells off a whole bunch of stuff. And then there's a grading company called Wata Games, and they take in a game and, and grade the quality and condition of various items in the gaming industry much in the same way that you would see for sports cards. And essentially, the accusation, if you will, is that the grading company's president and the CEO of the auction house were just working together to inflate the prices of these games. They were doing press releases and interviews saying that 
hey, the prices are going to rise. The grading company were maybe, you know, giving higher quality to games that didn't deserve it. And most importantly, the games that are being sold aren't actually being bought by game collectors. They're being bought by the owners of these companies. I'm actually going to quote the YouTube video here, quote, So what you have here is the chairman of the auction house buying a game for a record price and then creating a press release about his own purchase, in which himself and the president of the grading company are stating that the value of games is going up. He then advertises that his own game will be going up for auction in the future through his own auction house. End quote. And the way that both the grading company and the auction house make money is through commissions. So it's just an endless cycle. Anyway, there's a lot more to it, but I will let you do your own research. I can't fit all of that into this show. But it's a super interesting topic, and uh, really puts into perspective that even if people aren't buying games at these prices, it's pretty interesting that we're at a point now where rich people think that it is valuable to try and make themselves richer through video games. My friends, that's all the time I got. Thank you for tuning in. I will be back tomorrow with the news, whatever news there is, hopefully more gaming-centric. And uh, until next time, happy gaming, everyone. It's the TGO After Show. Hello and welcome. A couple of tough topics today, huh? Well, one was quite tougher than the other. I hope I did it right. You know, every time I come on this show and talk about something slightly controversial like this, and by slightly I mean in certain circles it's going to be controversial and in others it won't be, uh, I just want to make sure I, I do it justice, you know? And, you know, for what it's worth, I did make a very conscious effort to focus the story on what is actually happening in in the industry and, and the ramifications of the comments rather than the actual content of the of the comments itself. Although I do think I made my stances pretty clear as well, which is important. You know, I don't I don't want people to come on this show and have me be ambiguous about my stance on that law, because that is also not a great outcome. In any event, uh let's let's talk about some some games. Uh you know I saw this great TikTok today. I'm a huge TikTok guy these days. It's kind of hard to describe, but you kind of have to be in on, on TikTok culture, and, it, you know, these videos are so fast, it's hard to describe them. But it was basically just a riff on a trend where uh, a guy was like, oh, it's that time of year for me to be massively obsessed with Minecraft for two weeks and then never touch it again. And I totally resonated with that. Uh, it feels like every time I get back into Minecraft, it's like the game that I play for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. And then I don't touch the game again for a long time. You know, back uh, last year when I was talking to Jordan again after not talking to him for a while, my best friend, the first game that we played together was Minecraft because we used to play that a lot as kids. And we had a great time. We, we had awesome fun. And then because of that, I was playing a lot of single player Minecraft. And then at a certain point, I was like, hmm, I haven't played Minecraft in a while. And I booted it up and I was like, eh, I'm done with this. <laughs> and then I started playing other games. And I just know that the next time I boot up Minecraft, that's going to be my thing for a while. In fact, as I'm saying this, I'm like, ooh, should try a new Minecraft world. Literally every single time I play, I'm like, ooh, I'm finally going to get to the end this time. Because they implemented the end in like 2012 and I never actually got there. But, oh well, I don't think I ever will. I was thinking about this because, oh, wait, well, because I saw the TikTok, but also because I went and visited Shelby's family today and she has a younger brother who's in the sixth grade and he is still playing Minecraft, right? When I was his age, I was playing Minecraft. And now he's playing Minecraft. And I'm like, what? Like that. If anything has ever made me feel old, it is that. I was literally his age when I started playing this game. I mean, 
that speaks to the to the quality of Minecraft and how great it is as a video game and how they've kept up with it over the years. But I'm also like, oh my god, how is this possible? You know, 10 years later and a whole different generation is playing this game that I was in love with as a kid. Makes me feel so old. And I'm sure for many of you, when I talk on this show, you feel old. I mean, Super Mario Bros, that came out when? 85? Oh my god, I was actually right. Came out in 1985. I pulled that out of my brain out of nowhere. Yeah, so 85, that was... Okay, that was like 35 years ago. So if you're listening to this and you are over 50 plus, then you were alive when Super Mario Bros. came out. It was probably a big deal. And now here it is being considered a vintage video game selling for millions of dollars. Well, okay, now we know it's not actually selling for millions, but you know what I mean. That must feel so weird. I feel like that's going to be so weird for me. I'm only 23 and I'm like, Ugh, I'm old. I'm not ready for that. I know nobody's ready for that ever, but I'm not ready for that. Ever since I started getting this feeling of being old, which I recognize you're all laughing at me for that. But ever since I've gotten this feeling, I've been like, okay, it's time to put my life into perspective here. There's only so much time. I mean, there's lots of time. I have like my entire lifetime to live five, six more times or something like that especially with modern medicine, which might be offset by global warming. But in any event, (laughs) um, ever since I started to feel old, I've been like, I need to go out there and do my thing. You know, I need to do the things that are going to make me happy. I'm not going to wait to do stuff. Like, for example, traveling the world. It is so instinctual for me to be like, ah, just wait till you're retired to travel. You know, build up some money, save your money, settle down for a while, get your animals, and then once life has calmed down, go traveling. But then I'm like, no, you know, I already feel old. I'm going to regret it if I'm like 20, 30, 40 years from now being like, oh, I haven't traveled yet. And I feel so old. Like, <laughs> So that's why we're traveling like right away. And that's why I'm really like prioritizing this show in my life, because I want my 20s to be about finding out the things that I'm going to do with my life. And The Observer has been such a pleasant addition that makes me happy. And if I'm able to turn this into something, I want to do that while the risks are relatively low. So I hope I'm making the right decision there. And I think I am. Anyway, my friends, I am out of here. Thanks for listening. Reach out anytime and we'll chat tomorrow. Farewell.